One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to... And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Robert Jago, uh, who has been exposing the social media mistakes of many candidates in this election on his site, Some Random Political Blog. Welcome. Thank you. Simran Sandhu, who has been exposing the social media mistakes of other candidates on his site, True North Times. Hello as well. Thank you. Hi. Both of you join me from Montreal. Welcome to Shortcuts. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Jody Berland, Michael Kozica, Matthew Kanner, Uriah, Charlotte Dandy, Milan Gokale, Tara Cortrice, Ansel Schmidt, and Peter Burton. Peter, why did you decide to be awesome? Because I believe investigative journalism and critical thinking are essential for meaningful political discourse in Canada. The entertaining dialogue also doesn't hurt. This episode is also brought to you by Canadian Journalists for Free Expression. CJFE, this is a group that does big things like their current charter rights challenge against Bill C-51. They do stuff like that, but they also help out in specific cases, like in the case of the many Montreal journalists, many freelance journalists who have been beaten by police with batons, tagged with paint, shot with rubber bullets, pepper sprayed, all while they were trying to just do their jobs and report on the student protests. Tom Hennifer, who runs CJFE, was able to intervene and organize kind of a, a peacemaking conversation, a meeting between the journalists and the Montreal cops. Here's what he told me about that. We sat down. We had an incredibly productive meeting where the journalists, basically, they agreed that they would follow every police order, no matter whether it seemed justified or not, when they're on the ground. The police agreed 
worried that they would grant them the same access that all the mainstream media had, uh, even though they, a lot of them were working freelance or working for community media organizations. They apologized and admitted that officers had gone too far in the past. Guys, I volunteer for CJFE. I am a member, and you should become one too. Go to cjfe.org right now. Click Become a Member. Find out about the perks and pub nights with journalists and the annual review, all of which you will get when you join me and become a member. Do it. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Robert and Simran, tell me about your blogs. How many candidates, how many scalps do you have between the two of you? How many candidates in this election for all the different parties have you been able to trace through their social media histories, find embarrassing things resulting in them being dropped from the ballots. On my end, I've had three candidates dropped from the ballot, uh, Gilles Gibor, Blair Dale, and Tim Duteau. Um, in addition to them, though, I've had another half dozen who have had to make some apologies, like William McGrabby here in Montreal, who talked about beating up people. Um, like uh, in Toronto Centre, we had uh, Julian DiPatista, who talked about how much he didn't like Ontario. And uh, a few other minor candidates, including one today, just today, who has uh, cancelled a radio appearance to hide from me. <laughs> uh, Simran, what about you? Um, we've had uh, one candidate drop out. Stefan uh, Jonasson compared a sect of Orthodox Jews to the Taliban. Beyond that, we've had a few candidates make apologies. And 
really in its totality, it's it's just been one candidate. Why are you guys doing this? I mean, for the, like, I'm sort of torn between, on the one hand, you're doing what the press is supposed to be doing, vetting the candidates. Well, actually, the parties are supposed to do that before they put them on the, on the ballot. But often it falls to the media to go through the candidates and find out their records, anything embarrassing, anything that where, you know, the voters should know about. That's that's what the media is supposed to do. So you guys are, are, are picking up that slack. I can't really think of many cases where the media has found these histories out. At the same time, you know, I'm sure you're facing a lot of uh, inquiries into are you guys partisan warriors? Are you operatives? Are you trying to, like, uh, push some agenda or another through? What is motivating you guys to do this? Robert, let's start with you. Uh, well, I am trying to push some agenda through. And uh, I'm three-quarters nonpartisan. I just uh, am working against the Tories. I'm not working for any other party. But my agenda is, at the end of the day, it's electoral reform. And the only party not supporting that is the Conservative Party. So that's why I'm working to help defeat them. And, and that's the, my sole motivation. Not really, but it, it's, it's a primary motivation. And that will mean that you will expose certain candidates but not others, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm sitting on a lot of information about other candidates from other parties. Uh, some of it, you know, where it's touched on issues that I really care about, I have passed on to other people for them to look at and for them to confront the candidates. But for me, I'm focused exclusively on the conservatives. Simran, what about you? Really, what we're trying to do is bring a focus back on local candidates. Um, we don't have a single party out. Um, we're just trying to find, you know, stupid comments and let people know what their representatives may or may not be saying. So in a sense, I like to think we're uh, we're Batman. That, that's what we are. And Simran, like True North Times doesn't just exist for this purpose. No, not not at all. We we uh, comment on, you know, news and current affairs in general in Canada. Um, this was just one small series in the larger scheme of things. Why do you guys figure you have been successful at this, whereas the mainstream media has, uh, are they not trying? Are you beating us at our own game or are you beating them at their own game? What's, uh, what, what do you think? Um, I think as a political satire publication, we have a lot more leeway to be to be jackasses and just to, you know, wisecrack jokes more often. So we we put ourselves in a place where it's much easier for us to talk about these sort of things. On uh, my end, I think it, it's working with me because I have more time to be boring than the media does. For every story that makes it, um, there's probably five or ten that don't. And each of them requires a huge amount of effort. And I don't think the press in the middle of an election has the time to do this. It's just like laborious scut work of going through tweets, Facebook, Instagram, web archive. I mean, it, everything is just like digital footprints, right? That's right. And of course, the secret weapon, Bing, which nobody ever thinks about, but is actually incredibly useful for this sort of work. I thought Bing was just used for porn, but apparently there's something else somebody figured out what, what to use Bing for. <laughs> Learn something new every day. Yeah, it's it's the secret cash source. And what do you think about the criticism that like it's gone too far, that some of the stuff that you're digging up is like, come on, everybody's got some dumb stuff they put on the internet and these are not firing offenses. Uh, you should see what I don't publish. Uh, there, there's a ton of stuff. There's, I've got a picture of a Tory candidate um, half naked in a pile of dudes. I've got another one's like teenage love poetry. This, uh, I'm not just publishing random stuff. Each of these things pertains to a specific issue. So if I talk about um, the, the fellow in Newfoundland, that was sort of my part of my brosurative series where I wanted to talk about all these broish like frat boy candidates that are infecting the party and that are emblematic of like this tone in the conservative party. So it's not just like I'm, I'm uh, just randomly attacking 
people for things that they post. It, it, it has a point. It, it touches on an issue and it makes a, it's meant to help drive some voters away from the Tories. When these people may or may not be future policymakers and representing us in Parliament, we, we want to know the things that they say. It just That's just public scrutiny. I think all candidates deserve to be scrutinized to some degree to see what, what they've been saying. I can sort of imagine a day when you vet a candidate and if they don't have something embarrassing in their social media history, that's why you don't vote for them. <laughs> Uh, th- there are some that where there's like mysterious gaps that you you do kind of wonder. It makes them look suspicious. And are you guys following this campaign outside of your specific uh, actions in doing this uh, autopsy of, these, of, of everybody's past? Well, now I've got a war room and we're really involved with the campaign. It's not just the online stuff now. We're calling every conservative candidate in the country. We're going to all candidates meetings. We're, you know, doing recordings there, sending it on to me, and we're processing it in order to to, to create more stories. So we're following it very in-depth, probably more than most people. All right, and uh, I take it you guys watch the debates? Yes. Let's uh, hear a little bit of that. Monk debate on Canada's foreign policy. ISIS. 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 Uh, ISIS. Bombs at 9-11. I am impressed with Stephen Harper. I have to tell you, I am impressed that, you know, all right, look, we're not going to talk about Mike Duffy at a debate that is about foreign policy. We're not going to talk about the recession so much or, or even Bill C-51 or, or even all of the, the gaffes of the candidates that you guys have exposed. This was about foreign affairs. This was about foreign policy. And yet, the entire debate was so skillfully steered away from the refugee crisis, which is not a winning issue for Harper. We didn't even hear anything about the Syrian arms deal, but we talked a lot about ISIS. ISIS, 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 a big winning topic for the conservatives. It came up a lot. I think so, yeah. I mean, the moment when Harper said, we need to be afraid of ISIS, not CSIS, <laughs> like some marketing guy in the background was like, yes, that is going to be so great to tweet. So I, I guess, yeah, he put, put a good focus on that. It's a winning issue for him. Um, for the others, I don't know so much. Uh, ISIS uh, seems, I mean, the whole war seems to be incredibly weak for Trudeau. I really don't understand what side of it he's on, like what what the liberal plan is. Coming away from that, I have no idea where he stands. It was, I think, the best debate so far. Would you guys agree with that? By far. Yes, I think so, for sure. Yet, I fear that it may be the least viewed, I mean, not, not counting the French language debate, it might have been the least viewed federal leaders debate, I don't know, in, in recent history? Oh, probably. I mean, it didn't even look like a debate. I was kind of distracted by the big echo they had there in the middle of it, but it was still fantastic. And, and I think that this debate, this is the one where I'm still seeing clips of it, like uh, three days later, four days later. With the other ones, with the French debate, it happened and then it, it was over. Like, I didn't see a single trace of it in the social media the, the day after. Yeah, this definitely didn't get enough uh, attention that it warranted. Um, all you see of eclipse now are just, you know, like 90s sitcom laughter at various zingers, but that's about it. Yeah, there was, you know, uh, the question to Trudeau, how he's going to deal with Vladimir Putin, and then the, the crowd actually laughed at him. I got a chuckle when they were talking about how this uh, thank you, this sold out event, and then you see the crowd, and there's like empty seats. The crowd seemed to be very much receptive to Stephen Harper. You know, and following along at home and watching it, and, and and you know, reading all the tweets, you can really get a sense that everybody's talking about this. But then I look over at the trending topics. I didn't see it as a trending topic. If you can't get a trending topic for the monk debates on a Monday night in Toronto. 
I feel like we may just be in the echo chamber where we think that everybody's paying attention to this lively debate. There are debates that 10 million, like a third of the country tuned in when it was on the CBC. And they're being very cagey with the numbers. We don't have the full numbers from the Globe and Mail debates. We know that online it was like under 100,000. They offered the feed for free to whatever TV broadcaster might want to pick it up. Are we going to crack a million on these debates? I mean, this is like, it's pathetic. The numbers are, they seem like they're going to be disappointing for sure. Access has been sort of shoddy. I mean, for this debate in particular, um, I noticed that if you didn't watch the debate live, you couldn't really catch up on it until sometime the next day. I don't know which feed you were watching, but the translator for some of them was just at some point unbearable. I was just laughing too hard to listen to what they were saying. Oh, my God, yes, the translator. Let's hear that for a second. You stated that you were afraid of Mr. Harper. That's exactly what you said at the University of British Columbia. Don't try to change history now, Mr. Trudeau. Our government has done much. I mean, and that's when they bothered to translate it because the translator I was listening to took a break <laughs> so, somewhere in the... Just like, <laughs> like the South African translator and everything was okay. He was fine. And then all of a sudden this this flustered woman started translating and it was like she was auditioning for Macbeth at a local theater. It was just hilarious. <laughs> it was sort of uh, surreal to hear the talking points sort of screamed back at us, you know, like sort of in a, in a panicked tone. I mean, the monk debates I thought were good and well-moderated. The globe debates were not. Whatever. Sometimes it's just a big yellowthon. But this is what people do base their vote on. This is when you get a chance to spend some time with the candidates you might not know. And it's after Labor Day. Like, this is when it's supposed to happen. And if you compare a wider electorate where you had 10 million people in the past, and I swear to God, I'm putting my money on under a million for these debates, that is just a tragic tragic turn for our democracy to take. And yes, this is something that I think was very strategic on the part of Stephen Harper in snubbing the broadcasting consortium, moving it into these little niches of CPAC and and online streaming, which, you know, nobody's parents know how to view it that way. But then the feeds were offered for free by the Globe and Mail, by Monk, to any broadcaster that wanted to air it. The CBC chose not to broadcast a national leaders debate, two national leaders debate. They could have put it on screens across the country and the public broadcaster said, no, we're going to air a documentary about exotic pets. Uh, or with the Monk debates, they said, no, we're going we're gonna to show the Murdoch mysteries. And I just can't, I mean, how, how does a public broadcaster make that decision? It's just baffling to me. It is sort of baffling, but for the record, Murdoch mysteries is my guilty pleasure. Um, <laughs> It is kind of like they should be trying to get this out to the widest audience possible. So it is it is a travesty that they decided to air, again, you know, nature documentaries and whatnot. I don't really know what the motivation behind that would be, but it happened. And it is curious to see afterwards Peter Mansbridge's sort of snarky comments about only getting to use a few seconds of the debates when he could, could have had the whole debate. I, I get it. You know, they were snubbed and broadcasting the debates anyhow was sort of accepting that snub. But like this is so petulant what they did instead. And their and their excuse, you know, when I called them out for this on Twitter was, well, we had no editorial control over the debate. So how are we going to broadcast it? Give me a break. I mean, like... Have they ever had editorial control over a debate? I mean, isn't that the whole point of it is that it's like unscripted? <laughs> I guess when they had... I mean, though it's it's sort of, you know, sometimes they would have uh, a CBC broadcast debate, but they'd bring in a moderator who wasn't Mansbridge so that it was... I don't know. So it was a concession to the consortium or something. But yeah, they could set the format and figure out the questions. And But I mean... 
what the hell does the average voter give a damn about whether the CBC played a role in that. You just want to uh, watch the debates or at least have the opportunity to, to base your vote on it. And what a disservice they're, they're doing. And it puts them, I mean, so we finally see Hubert Lacroix this week find his voice against Harper. Harper in a radio interview says the CBC's problem isn't getting, that they're getting their, their funding cut. The problem is that their ratings are low. And finally, Hubert, the president of the CBC, who was appointed by Harper, finally says something critical, says, well, ratings aren't our problem. The lack of funding is a problem. And of course, he's seeing that the other parties are, are, are promising to reinstate funding. So, you know, there's a subtle little partisan aspect to that. It so compromises their position to the friends of the CBC, to all their many supporters around the country, when they just are choosing not to do their duty. There just is nothing of such clear public importance as the debates to take a pass on. It is It is a letdown. I mean, you if you're a public broadcaster, this is this is a part of your duty, whether whether you need to swallow your pride and air something that you don't have editorial control over or not. They should have done that. And I wonder at what level the decision was made. Is is there like a, a political level within the CBC where they decided this because of partisan interests? I mean, the CBC board is all conservative now. This is true. I think I think it's 10, maybe now 11 of the 12 members are, are have some conservative affiliation or the other. But never attribute to malice what could better be uh, explained by, I don't know, stupidity, indifference, uh, vanity, I mean, or just that they didn't want to lose the primetime ad dollars. Yeah, I think um, CBC, we, we've seen now that having a, a lack of oversight or or in some cases perspective is is sometimes a thing that they fall into. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Guys, uh, finally, did, did you read the walrus piece by Jonathan Kay about Justin Trudeau? Oh, yes, I loved it. I, I read every word of it. He's Oh, it made me love him so much more. Who, John Kay or, or, or Justin Trudeau? John Kay. He's now my favorite Kay. He's taken over Barbara. <laughs> that's a tight race. Yeah. The jump out quote is, I have a lot of unresolved feelings about Justin Trudeau. And it's like, so does the rest of the country. And also, who gives a shit? No, I don't want to pick on John. I don't want to pick on him like that. It was written with this bizarrely, you know, I'm sitting at my in my guest house cottage summer home. <laughs> it occurred to me that I have more things. To, like, Where else would you write it? <laughs> yeah. The fact that you're writing about Justin Trudeau would, would, you know, I hopefully you have some things to say about him. But please tell me which of your many properties you wrote about him from. No, I don't want to pick on John Kay, who has, has been, you know, very forthcoming and being available for comment on this show. And I'd like to have him on again. Again. So I'm not going to pick on him for this sentence. What good is the glitz of being a prime minister's son when you're living a childhood parched of mother's milk? That's beautiful prose right there. Just elegant. Why would I try to embarrass him for a sentence like that? Or, or for writing that uh, though his mother-in-law told him that she would never vote for Trudeau because he's, quote, such a boob, end quote. But, writes John Kay, I can report that Trudeau is very much... An unboob. An unboob. That is that is up there with my other, the the other favorite quote in there about the hard men covered in ink. <laughs> You'll have to here. We'll send him some traffic. You'll have to go read the story to figure out about the hard men covered in ink. I am not here to police his writing. I mean, we all try to write well. Sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. This is not my role. I'm not here to say nasty things about John Kay on that basis. But, but guys. The line that I have to take issue with is where John Kay protests, when I appeared on TV or wrote about politics, I critiqued Trudeau as I would any other politician. So here, here's John Kay writing about how, even though he was hired 
to ghostwrite, research, I, I don't know, interlocute, basically help Justin Trudeau out with his, with his uh, autobiography, with his memoir, even though he was a hired gun on that book, and also the editor of the comment section of the National Post. And even though he then wrote many pieces about Justin Trudeau and commissioned many pieces about Justin Trudeau and edited many pieces about Justin Trudeau, and even though he did not disclose to anyone but his employer, never to the reader, that he had been paid, okay, not by Trudeau, by the publisher, he still reminds us now that after he was done working with, for Trudeau, he would critique Trudeau as he would any other politician. Yeah, you know, give him, give him a self a pat on the back. Good, good work. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's made us all do something really terrible. We all have are stuck in this position where we have to agree with Ezra Levant. It's true that Ezra Levant was entirely right on this. Ezra Levant, maybe not in the like vociferous kind of like you know, give me John Kay's head on a platter. I don't think that this is something that we need to flay Jonathan Kay for. And I don't think that it makes him a partisan warrior for Justin Trudeau, though his warm feelings for Trudeau really do come across. But obviously that's something he should have told everybody about. I mean, obviously that's a conflict of interest. And yes, it is a problem. And no, saying – I mean, it was only when the book came out and Jonathan Kay was thanked in the book did he say, yeah, I had a role in writing this book. I mean, you know, please, John Kay, I beg you. that that Like just, just you know, I shouldn't have done that. Next time I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't just make me question how he covers Trudeau. It makes me question how he covers anybody in his social class. Just the, the from the tone of this thing is insane. Yeah. Tell me more about that. That's an interesting point. Well, I mean, it's just this article screams white bread. The, the, the talk about like uh, the absentee mother, like that's some sort of like amazing life trauma that he's never heard of before. It's half the country lives like this. Like, and, and then talking about, like, how he pulled himself out from these horrible 24 Sussex million dollar bootstraps and didn't become a self-pitying loser, but instead an international playboy. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's amazing. This, this is the, that's the part that came back to, 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 to me, like, again and again and again. That, like, yeah. Was it just me or did you guys get the feeling that he was, like, writing around something? Like, did you get the sense that there was a suggestion in there that we should give Justin a pass because, like, you know, his mom and Mick Jagger. Like, was there, like, an element of slut-shaming of Margaret Trudeau? D did you pick that up? I did. I, I The part about the Yo Mama taunts. Yeah. You could see where he was trying to maybe lead the reader towards. He was trying to get us, without saying so, he was trying to get us to think about Margaret Trudeau and Mick Jagger and be like, come on, Canada, if your mom was sleeping with Mick Jagger— don't you have some sympathy for this guy? Not really, no. But yeah, he was talking about how, like the kids would show him <laughs> like the full color gloss of his, of his mom amidst the Rolling Stones. But you know what? I mean, other people have worse stuff. I would love to show my friends full color glossies of my mom hanging out with the Rolling Stones. <laughs> by the way, I think the gist of it though is that life is hard, and we should be we should be be amazed at his courage to to stand up against this adversity. I'm just like with Jonathan Kay, have you read him before? I'm just amazed that he has all this sympathy for the travails of Justin Trudeau, but none for like First Nations people in anything he writes. Yeah, that is a fine point as well. That there's, there is a, a feeling of like bonhomie with like a connection between Justin and like he's got this humanity is imploring us to feel the same humanity. But yeah, that's absent from a lot of the opinions we get from John Kay. And yeah, the whole thing reeks of classism. Like just from head to toe, and just his the takeaway is that Justin Trudeau is motivated by wanting to be liked, 
And what else? Is, does he obey the laws of gravity too? Uh, I mean, he's a politician for Christ's sake. I, I imagine the whole thing as like uh, Jonathan Kay narrating like as Hugh Grant in a romantic comedy, <laughs> typing on his computer about Justin Trudeau. It's like a beautiful love story. In the guest cottage. Exactly. <laughs> Guys, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. Hope you enjoyed it. You can always email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all. I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown. Robert, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on my blog, rjjago.wordpress.com, or they can search for some random political blog. Simran, how about you? I'm at truenorthtimes.ca on Twitter at the True North. And if you want to follow a self-deprecating comedian, because there's not enough of those, uh, at Simran underscore Sandu. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. This show is produced by Katie Jensen. The next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. If you like this show, please support it. That's all the time you had. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.